to downtown Coolsville. Population? Us. I think Coolsville sucks. Hello, this is Bloopcast. I'm Ewan. I'm Rob. And I'm Joe. But the question is, why are we the Bloopcast? Yes. Yes. I, yes. I can't do it. I can't do it. Fair play to Vin Diesel. I can't do yeah. the Vin Diesel voice. But it's kind of a precursor uh, to the Yes. Isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It kind of sounds like a big. It kind of sounds like he's barking almost all the time it's kind of like <laughs> okay so i know last time all right. we said we were going to do resident evil 3 as our halloween episode but we thought it's a because i think the beyond good and evil episode took a bit longer than we expected and we've got a few months before halloween we decided to kind of do a quick little episode to kind of tie people over and yeah and just for fun so Today we are discussing the 1999 animated classic, The Iron Giant. Directed by Brad Bird. Yeah, of course. The, of, also of went the on Simpsons to do... and Ratat- uh, Pixar, uh, Ratatouille yeah. and The Incredibles. Incredibles. Yeah, so a very, very cool uh, director to talk about today. And uh, yeah, no, um, The Iron Giant is a film that I, I grew up with. I had the old VHS tape for it. Um, so I'm very excited to talk about it today. I, yeah, I had it. I had it too. I think um, I think I've known this film for such a long time that I don't even remember, like, the first time I saw it. Yeah. It's just a film that's always existed. Yeah, because for me, I'd say I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I do remember seeing the trailer for it. So I think I found out the movie existed when I went to see Tarzan in the cinema, which was around October 1999, because this was back in the day when release dates were Mm. months apart in the UK and the US. Because I think Tarzan came out in the US in June, but in the UK came out in October. I don't know why it was a thing, but I think nowadays it's... Oh, yeah, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, I saw the trailer for The Iron Giant. I remember thinking it was cool. (laughs) It looked cool. And I remember my dad talking about it, which I imagine was probably because he read the Ted Hughes book. Warner Brothers Family Entertainment presents... Oh, the story of a young boy... Look out for the boss! ...and a giant from another world... You can fly? ...who became a hero on this one. You can fly! The Iron Giant. And I remember seeing adverts for it on the TV. The main mm. bit I remember is Manzi saying, he ate my car. But um, yeah, I never, I never got to see it in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think one of my siblings had mm. it on VHS. But I never really sat down to watch it all the way through. So mainly be on in the background while I did other things. But I distinctly remember the iconic ending. As well as there's a parody of that ending in an episode of Duck Dodgers, the Looney Tunes spin-off where... Um, Daffy Duck is a parody of um, Buck Rogers. The asteroid. When that thing hits, we'll all be destroyed. Is, uh, shouldn't we get to the shuttle? It wouldn't matter. Fix. 
Roboto? Friend, you stay. I go. No following. I love you. The pedicure. Dodger's friend. I do remember being read the Ted Hughes book in mm. school when I was about eight, but I didn't clock on to me that it was based on uh, right. the, the Iron Giant was based on the Iron Man until about a year later when I went to my local library and had a copy of the book of the Iron Giant with like the cover of things the same cover as the VHS cover, but then you when you read it is actually the Ted Hughes book. Uh, yeah, I can't really remember the first time I sat down mm. to watch the movie all the way through, but I think, think for, I did buy it on DVD when I was in my early 20s, so I was about 22. So I bought, bought the DVD from CEX for about a pound. So I remember I bought it alongside Robocop, so it's like I bought two movies about robots, but on the opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely wow. bought it. Yeah, I guess so. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, they're, for this. they're both killing machines. Yeah. yeah. Mm. With hearts of gold. Exactly. But yeah. <laughs> and possible and possible Jesus, Jesus analogies. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. 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 But yeah, for this episode I I bought the Blu-ray, which is the signature edition, which includes an extra extra scene that's not included in the original theatrical version. Yeah, I, I think I saw that when I rewatched it. Because I where's the where's the extra scene? It's it's when he's in the junkyard. They show we'll get into this, but they they show him having a dream. The giant has a dream, and uh, it kind of goes into his backstory a little bit, which is interesting. Oh, um, yeah, oh, no uh, way. It, it's yeah. I I remember seeing it years ago, and I think, but I'd always assumed it was kind of just a deleted scene. So. When I rewatched it for this, I was surprised when it actually did pop up in the in the film. So obviously, oh, that's that's the Blu-ray version that, yeah. that Rob's talking about. Yeah, that um, version was actually yeah, released in the cinema around 2015. I think it was some kind of anniversary release. They they put that scene back in, and then that version was later released on right. Blu-ray. And that okay, Blu-ray also yeah. had this documentary I watched in preparation yeah. for this called hmm. The Giant's Dream. Which is a really fun documentary, and a lot of my mm. research that I got from this came from that. I want, um, which includes a lot of stuff about Brad Bird, which I want to go into about how this movie came about. So, Brad Bird was oh, yeah. interested yeah. in animation from like a young age. He made his own cartoon at 14. I think it's like a tortoise in the hare kind of thing, and he sent it to Disney, and right. and that landed yeah. him an internship there when he was like 14. And this is like during the glory days of the studio, so he's around all his idols, like hmm. his favourite animators there. And then by the time he started working at Disney after he finished hmm. school, a lot of his heroes had left Disney, and Disney were now churning out a lot of not so great movies. Right. So this is around the like the dark ages of the eighties, sort of doing stuff like the Black Cauldron. This is the the eighties, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then God, the Black Cauldron. I watched that recently, and it is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Brad was that was the most expensive animated movie of its time, and it was oh, yeah. it, it's terrible. 
Legend has it, there was once a king so cruel and so evil that the gods feared him. Since no prison could hold him, he was trapped forever in the form of a great black cauldron. The horned king, that black-hearted devil. Yeah, yeah but sorry. Brad was very vocal about the way things were, about how he's like, yeah, Disney could be great again if we just did this, this, and this, but of course the higher up the studio were just like, oh, you're just causing trouble. We've always done things. We're do- just going to do things our way. And then it just got, <laughs> then that led to him getting fired from Disney. And then if, I think he, yeah. <laughs> of yeah, course, he, yeah. he tries to launch his own animated film based on the comic strip The Spirit, which is about a detective who everyone believes is dead. But at the time, no one was interested. You can see, you can see mm. that on YouTube, the like he did a little test animation for it. But everyone was like, "Oh, only Disney does animation. Everyone else just won't oh, do animation." And then he went on to work on The Simpsons, which is, I think is where mm. he got his big break. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like around around the golden age yeah, for that, right? Yeah. yeah, no, he he had a quite a, a storied career even before he got to this film. You know, the, yeah. there were so many kind of great little things he worked yeah, on. Because be- um, yeah, before, yeah, I think around the time he was doing Simpsons, he was I think he was with Turner, the I think Ted Turner's company, planning like a kind of like a retro sci-fi animated movie called Ray Gun, but then. Turner got purchased by Warner Brothers yeah. and they were like, okay, we don't want to do this Ray Gunn movie, but we would like you to do this movie, The Iron Giant, which I think at the time was being produced as an animated musical with music by Pete Townsend from The Who. Yeah, but- yeah he, was, he was working on it as a... He was, he was working on it as a rock opera, I think, was yeah. uh, the... That was yeah, and no, I think it was yeah. That was like animated parts of it would go towards it, and then yeah, it turned into this film. Yeah, but it was originally a Pete Townsend from from the Ted Hughes. Movie. I really can't imagine that this is a <laughs> rock opera. Yeah, but they, oh, well, a rock opera, so you can so, maybe see it. Yeah, but I think Bird wasn't really into that approach. I think he, but he read the book, and it resonated with him because his sister was killed because of gun mm. violence. And I think he related because the book was written after Ted Hughes' wife yeah. sadly committed suicide, and he kind of resonated with the idea of the robot kind of being broken and pick, putting himself back together. And he kind of came up with this idea of the for the movie about being what if a gun doesn't want to be a gun? And he kind of goes into this like whole kind of hmm. synopsis. And Warner Brothers are a bit unsure because it's completely different from the book. Well, not completely different, but very different. And it was very different from what Disney was doing, which I think Warner Brothers yeah. wanted to meet what Disney was doing. But Brad was like, this needs to be different from Disney. This needs to set us apart. And then once Brad explained that, he was more receptive. Hmm. But they gave him two and a half years, which is like half the time that animate Disney was giving their animators to do things. And with half the budget, and because like all the big animators were working mm. at Disney and DreamWorks, Brad just had to get whoever he could, and that meant like all the people who the other studios weren't interested in. Yeah, well, I think the important thing to remember with uh, with the Warner Brothers animated films, the film before the Iron Giant was the uh, Quest for Camelot. Yes, I have if I got recall, a point about with, this. Uh, yes. Yeah, but that's like, like Joe. Do you remember the movie Quest for Camelot? No. I had exactly. It. What is the I, Quest for I Camelot? Had it on v- I had it on VHS, and I do not remember a thing about it. 
I remember, I think Piers Brosnan was in it. I, I, re I remember specific things in it. Yeah, I, uh, that movie has, there's like these guys and he has an evil magic potion and like they become parts of their weapons. It's actually kind of like awesome. Uh, or at least that detail is because it's like these guys like suddenly get yeah. melded together with like a morning star flail and things like that. Anyway, uh, it's... It sounds a bit anime to me. But yeah, the thing is, I it's, think, um, if you look at that movie, it, 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 it's, it, it's not like anime. <laughs> it, it's very much That would be a... cool if it was. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing like I'm picturing like Sailor Moon transformation sequences. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think the thing with that movie is it was very much what um, what's it called um, Warner Brothers wanted. It was a wannabe Disney movie, and yeah, uh, we'll get into right, it later. Yeah. But that's kind of what caused this movie's performance at the box office. Journey back. To a land filled with mystery and magic. A time of bravery and adventure. Next summer, Warner Brothers Family Entertainment presents Quest for Camelot. One of my favourite things about this movie is the yeah. 1950s Cold War setting. Like They could have easily set this movie in like the 90s yeah. around the time yeah. the movie was made. And it wouldn't have aged as well. But like they fully commit to this Cold War 50s setting like... Hogarth sitting at, sitting at home watching a ropey B movie on TV about brain monsters, and there's a full-on Cold War How to Survive Nukes video <laughs> which feels straight out of the Fallout games, and there's a brief bit where, where you see one of Hogarth's comics is <laughs> called Red Menace, and I think the, the setting makes the movie feel more timeless yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's not, it's very uh, unexpected. It's a bit like um, you, you can't really tell who the setting is for. Because <laughs> like n none of the kids watching are going to appreciate any of that stuff. I, I guess it's for the for the adults, but it would have been. I don't know if by 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 the late nineties, like even the parents of the kids would probably be too young to mm. appreciate all the fifties mm. stuff. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes from. I suppose there was this this kind of thinking that okay the iron man obviously it's it's not really it's not a red menace story or a you know or, or a cold war story uh by any you know there's there's things you can interpret it from it but you know it, it's it's not this movie and so i think the logic must have come from thinking okay well what was an era where yeah big giant robots and invasions from Mars and things like that were big. Well, it was the 1950s. It was this idea, you know, like, oh, the atomic age, this, this the world of tomorrow, you know. And um, <laughs> I think they thought, well, why don't we, yeah, set it during this period. And also this period of uh, military paranoia. Not to say that America has never not been paranoid, but the, <laughs> the, the 50s was like the most famously paranoid era and so yeah so you you introduce this element of like everyone's already freaking out about alien elements and then you have this you know sputnik is above everyone's heads yeah they're con they're constantly talking yeah, about sputnik the yeah, first, and throughout the film the well, first shot it, of the movie is sputnik yeah. is sputnik going yep. around the globe is sputnik yeah well, I, I looked into it, and yeah, there was actually a, pheno a phenomenon called uh, Sputnik hysteria, and it was during 1957, 
uh, yeah, Americans were losing their minds because they were like, oh my god, the Russians, you know, they their technology is so far advanced uh, on us. Um, we, we just can't compete. And that obviously means, oh, their weapons are better than ours. Um, which again, ties into this film. Is the Iron Giant actually a secret Soviet uh, war machine that's been sent over? Um, you know, like, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that, that's, yeah. that's why I'm a little um, apprehensive about what you were saying about um, the dream that goes into his origins a bit. Because, yeah. like, I, I, the, the film as is never explains where he came from he just like emerges from he like crashes into the ocean yeah and then it's just never explained he just like is there yeah i i had some i, I think i think the best you get is like um i, I think uh hogarth says like did you come from up up there hmm and and I think he nods, doesn't he? Yeah. He, well, I mean, he did. He, that, that's that's the best you but get. But <laughs> we we do see him crash from space. So like, yeah. Mm. So he did come from there. But yeah, did he originally come from uh, Russia or China or Canada? Uh, you know, <laughs> that was the other one, wasn't it? The Russians, <laughs> the Chinese, the Canadians. Uh, you know. I don't care. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I think if we're going to go into this scene, so this is the Giant's Dream uh, deleted scene. One thing I do really like about that scene is that they it's not happening in his head. It's actually his like antennae um, somehow gets linked to Dean's TV. Oh, yeah. And then it's actually being it's being broadcast onto Dean's TV. And then Dean wakes up and actually sees a bit of like presumably the giant's memories uh, being played back to him, and I think that's that's a really cool idea, you know, uh, that it gets into the satellite or whatever. Um, but no, I I agree with Joe. I as a kid, I never knew like oh, is the giant, you know, is he from Russia? Is he from Mars? Is he from somewhere else? Like you know, it, it's never made clear. Whereas the dream is like pretty like it's he's from alien origins you know which like mm. yeah we that's the most likely uh origin yeah by the but, by the end of the film that's fairly obvious yeah but the fact that it's never actually explained yeah so, like that, yeah like, i think because it, it, le it leaves you guessing like the characters yeah are. sometimes yeah, that that exactly. works better because i keep bringing this example up on this podcast but it's the most exact the first thing i think of when it comes to this kind of less is more thing is what makes Alien scary is that we don't know what it is, and then Prometheus ruins everything about hmm. the mystery of Alien. <laughs> I don't know, like, I, I, every... I, I feel like with Prometheus, that movie is so convoluted, it, it, it doesn't even... I can't even remember what happens in it that it explains. I think it I think it raises more <laughs> questions. I want to talk about the opening scene for this one where we meet Hogarth, because... We can really see why he'd be attached to the giant mm. because he rushes into the diner where his single overworked mother works. He, he comes in for a box saying he's got a friend mm. in there who's a squirrel. And it kind of shows that he's a bit of a loner because, he's, <laughs> because his yeah. mum is like, always at work. He has to go home alone. like, he's, And he's not really got many friends at school. So he's kind yeah. of just desperately trying to find anything he can connect with. Hey mum, you won't believe our good luck. Guess what I found? Hogarth, we've been through this before. No, 
pets. Oh, but he's not a pet, Mom. He's a friend. Oh, Garth, we've got to rent a room this year if we're going to make ends meet. And no one wants to live in a place with shredded upholstery. You'll never know he's there. I'll keep him in a cage. Until you feel sorry for him and set him free in the house. Do you remember the raccoon, Hogarth? Ugh, I remember the raccoon. Yeah, so we can see how isolated it is, and then of course that leads to him bonding with this giant robot he finds. Yeah, he doesn't really have any friends, or at least not at the start. So, like one of the kids calls him a Poindexter, so you know, I guess he is kind of like isolated and a bit of a loner because they they live in like a little like farmhouse detached from the rest of the town. So yeah, the, there's, there's there's a there's a bit um, further in where he has espresso and like <laughs> does this incredibly hyperactive explanation of why he has no friends yeah. that I'm not sure I'd uh, quite understood before because he <laughs> he is talking so fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is he, he got, he got skipped ahead of at school. Yeah, <laughs> he got skipped ahead at school. Right. But, because he was, um, you know, smart enough, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just oh, wasn't able to make friends in the older year, I guess. Yeah. Is there... Um, I always kind of assumed that his dad was a soldier who died in, like, the Korean War, but I don't... I, that's, like, based on nothing. Mm. Um, yeah, that's that would, complete... That would line up but is, speculation, it, but it? is, I, don't, I don't think there's anything actually in the film. Would, would that line up, though? Because, you know, it, that's, like, ten years later... Um, and you know, because she's a single mum, uh, it's Annie, Annie Hughes, yeah. So she's a single mum working at a diner. Because I don't know, I feel like the, the movie would have like, if, if he'd walked out, it would have been a bit like Treasure Planet, where they actually like talk about that. You know, like yeah. Hogarth would like be re be resentful of his dad. I don't know. It's just interesting that his dad isn't present at all. Yeah. Like, I, I, you know, I, I never gets mentioned. Yeah, I assume that dad's just dead, basically. Yeah, no, he's dead, I, I think. But I just wondered, it was it like a war thing? Because that, like, would explain why mm. there might be some hesitancy to, like, meet, you know, for Annie to meet someone else. I know she, like, starts flirting with Dean, but, you know, but that's, like, obviously just you know she's not looking for like she's not out out dating she just no, meets she, dean at the diner yeah she's just um, um, kind of and, just, and he like chats to hogarth yeah she's just providing for hogarth basically that's that's, that's her driving yeah that, that's so, why she's working su such long hours like she doesn't yeah. really have much time for a social life working long hours and yeah trying to get um again s s someone to uh to lodge at the at the house um so it's yeah I don't know I just there's a whole what I like about this film it yeah it's like the 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 giant's origins um there's so much kind of stuff that's unsaid mm. which is really cool I think more films should do that where it's like it is left open to speculation like wh where is the dad why is then you know they don't even mention him at all you know she doesn't go like mm. oh you're like your father there's like nothing she just doesn't yeah. bring him up yeah um, There's not even like a wistful look at a photo yeah, on the wall. No, there no. is a photo. That's the kind of thing you'd expect yeah. if he died. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I mean. There's there's nothing like that at all. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. What... Like that's that's the kind of thing you'd expect if um, the film was going to make a point of him being dead or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think I guess because the giant isn't really a father figure. I think Dean is more of the father figure, isn't he? Oh yeah. Um, Dean's brilliant. Where, he's, whereas he's whereas the giant the yeah. 
Oh, he's great. I, I, he's he stood out to me as a kid because like I'd never Dean. Yeah, Dean. I'd never seen anyone like him in in a movie where he's like you know well he's a beatnik yeah he's a beatnik you know he's all about arts and and expression and but as but at the same time i mentioned this to you guys like he's the only positive depiction of a beatnik like i always think of uh (laughs) ned flanders's dad uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. we've, we've tried we, we've tried oh man yeah. still on my post. <laughs> we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas <laughs> like you know beatniks have always been like a, a running joke what's he doing oh man Ned's spilled ink all over my poems. He's a real flat tire. I mean a cube man he's putting us on the train to Squaresville Mona and, you know, the, the film mentions that because, you know, like, uh, Dean stands up for the, the yeah. sailor who's, like, saying, oh, my God, I, I saw this this giant robot. They're all laughing at him. Dean says, hey, I saw it, too. And they like, oh, yeah, of course you'd have seen it, you weirdo. You know, so it's yeah, like, and, yeah, and then it doesn't really help, cool help the sailor's case. Is he doesn't actually believe in the robot. He's just saying that because he wants to stick up for the old man. Because he's like, oh, us kooks need to stick together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That that's what I like is that he he is like, you know, he he's not part of the rest. You know, he he's he stands apart from this like coastal town. Like they're all, it's like clearly like a little fishing uh, village or town, and uh, you know, so the most of them are all like workmen. And then there's just this this guy who just runs this uh, the mechanic or you know the junkyard. Oh yeah, and, um, he, and, 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 and he makes weird sculptures. sculptures. And he makes his really weird cool sculptures. Yeah. I called the government in Washington. Maybe it was a Sputnik or a invader from Mars. That, that's that's what it is. It's an invader from Mars. It was a, a spaceship of some kind. An unidentified flying object. Unidentified? Well, knowing you were, I'd say it was either whiskey or beer. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I saw it too. I rest my case. (laughs) I believe you. What if it is Sputnik? Or a flying saucer from Mars? I bet we could find it. Sorry, kid. I didn't really see anything. But if we don't stick up for the kooks, who will? Yeah, one of the things I like about this movie is how low-key and subtle it is for a film about a giant robot. It's like, it's a very calm movie. And it's not, it's not got... <laughs> yeah. to, to a point, up, and, up until a yeah, point, up it's until, quite subtle. Like the ending, where it kind of like turns into kind of like a kaiju movie. And I think that might be why it didn't hold my... <laughs> it might be why it didn't hold my attention as much when I was younger, but as, an, as I can really appreciate that they're trying to tell a more kind of like a personal story. And yeah, it's a very, very different to a lot, lot, a lot of the animated films coming out at the time, which are either Disney or trying to be Disney. Yeah, and while they mentioned... Um, uh, Brad Bird mentioned it was kind of like a cross between E.T. and... Oh, God, this is a very old reference, but he mentioned a movie called The Yearling. Uh, I'm going to check this very quickly, but I'm pretty sure that's a movie about a boy who befriends a, a kangaroo. Hang on. Uh, that sounds like God, a TV 1946. Wow, Brad Bird, you really are a nerd. So anyway, yeah, so it's about a 
you know, a boy who's looking for a friend and he finds it in a giant killer robot. <laughs> which which sounds yeah. But how the giants characterize it kind of reminds me of the movie Bumblebee, the Transformers spin off, because it's kind of like Bumblebee's forgotten who he is. He's kind of acting like a big, innocent child, <laughs> yeah. like a new, kind of like a newborn baby learning about the world, because there's a bit where the giants kind of like learning rock tree. See, see, Hogarth teaches him what a rock is, so he picks up a tree and mm, says, tree. Rock. And then Hogarth's like, No, tree. And then he tries to follow, he follows Hogarth home, and then Hogarth's like, No. You say I go, and the kind of whole premise of the movie also kind of reminds the another Transformers. No following is the Beast Wars episode Transmutate, where we've got this weird, innocent creature that's also oh, a destructive yeah. force. God, <laughs> Transmutate. Yeah, that was freaky. That that episode. I remember that. Yeah. One one thing I like is that I think. This might be a very subtle detail, but I'm pretty sure that, like, as the film goes on, the giant's movements become more and more fluid. Like, when it when it's initially going towards the, um, the power station, and it's, like, ripping it, like, you know, it tries to rip it all up, it has a very kind of, like, stumping... Like oh, yeah, robotic I'm, movement, it's uh, like arm arm straight forward. Yeah, it's like it's like think you know, it's a robot. It's like you know, my programming is telling me to eat this metal, and he just you know, and and then as he goes along, they they start to like humanize his movements. You know, there's the mm. sad scene of him like poking the the deer's body. Oh, like yeah, there's I little touches scene. like that where it's like you know, I've, yeah. Seems- and, well, it's, he, he, it's, there's a there's. The, there's a scene where he um, mimics Hogarth um, movements, isn't it? Like um, he he squats down and then like falls backwards to sit down when Hogarth does it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he like even like he's even when learning he... the movements from watching the humans. Yeah, even when like Hogarth like pushes his legs out a bit more, the giant copies that as well. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, he's he's le- he's learning more and more about about us and about humanity through Hogarth, um, which you know I guess is another good thing because he could have run into Mansley instead oh god we'll get into Mansley <laughs> I want to go back to the scene about the um, deer because I think that's a big scene that kind of ties into the themes of the movie because it's the first time the giant understands what death is because he sees the hmm. deer getting shot and he kind of like he kind of doesn't understand because he yeah. tries to pick it up and Hogarth's like no don't pick it up and then that Hogarth tells him guns kill people and then he then that he's the giant's kind of traumatized it because he doesn't, that's his kind of understanding. Go, oh, things die, and originally this scene was going to be very different. Originally, the giant mm. was going to accidentally crush the deer, but then they decided no, the giant shouldn't do that, and that's when they came up with the idea of the heart. Oh no! <laughs> that's definitely uh, a no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hmm. Well, I guess he decided. To... Oh, no.
it's really funny when you come up with like some of the ideas that they they floated and you just go like what were they thinking like really (laughs) like i I saw another one was was they they suggested that like the third world war would start at the end of the movie (laughs) and presumably like everyone would die and i'm like no don't do that movie (laughs) yeah i like that it's um like the, the the film could roughly have taken place in real history, you know. Mm. Like not nothing, not nothing like world, like worldwide scale happens. Yeah, well, apart from really the possible discovery of a of a giant death laser machine. Yeah, but I mean, like ge- geographically, it's it's geographically it happens in a couple of days yeah. in a very small town yeah. Yeah. in Maine. Yeah, and then. And then the giant gets blown up at the end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No. So yeah. No, you're right. It's very self-contained. Like there isn't like, I, we have like one call with the general in Washington, and I think that's the only time we see anywhere outside of like the little town. I also really like the, yeah, the, and like the 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 where, where he is in the Arctic at the end as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I I also really like the detail that the general's watching a western. Uh, I I looked this up and I think during this time, uh, I think there were ninety one uh, western TV shows made uh, throughout the nineteen fifties. And I, it's really important. It was like the yeah, big genre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Them, it's important it? to remember that there were free channels at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so ninety-one. <laughs> also, kind of like westerns were like the big genre, like the same way that superheroes are the big genre now. And it's and this is kind of comes up in Toy Story too, where like Woody's mm. Roundup was like the biggest show ever, and then as soon as like the astronauts went up, interest came. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sputnik. <laughs> It becomes space. Uh, yeah. Stinky Pete mentioned Sputnik as he well. Does, he yeah. does, yeah. Two words, Sputnik. Wait, 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 wait. What about the gold mine and the and the cute little critters and the dynamite? There was a great show. I mean, why cancel it? Two words, Sputnik. Once the astronauts went up, children only wanted to play with space toys. That's interesting as well. The idea of yeah, like the the superhero or the. The, sci- the science fiction film ultimately supplanting the Western. Because, yeah, like, the Western was, like, the biggest genre basically from, like, the 20s to at least the 50s. And then, yeah, and then the 50s kind of... We started seeing more science fiction films, and then, you know, it was... Science fiction kind of died a little bit after that, but then, obviously, Star Wars came along and then, like, just completely blew out every other... Um, genre like you know like ev- everyone wanted to make the next Star Wars and then everyone wanted to make the next E.T. and you know it just became bigger and bigger and, and yeah so it's interesting yeah the, I like- the the western is like this little thing on the TV again not not really referenced besides that one TV shot uh, in this film. It, it kind of um, re- reflects uh, the general's attitude I think because mm. like uh, I think you see two films being watched throughout Iron Giant, like um, Hogarth's watching his weird sci-fi oh, horror movie, movie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and and the general's watching a western, so he's like, uh, kind of conservative, looking backwards into the past, yeah. and he doesn't believe, he doesn't believe what Mansley says about the 
giant until basically until he sees until it. Until he sees actual, yeah, no, exactly. Mm. Uh, what I like is um, uh, I, I got really excited because I actually identified two movies that could possibly be references for uh, the brain movie uh, that Hogarth's watching. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there, there's two. There's two films. There's uh, uh, the oh god, the brain from Planet Arras. Uh, which I think is the more likely candidate because that has like a really giant brain and that's kind of what we see. <laughs> but at the same time, we see a little brain thing crawling around at one point and that's very Fiend Without a Face, uh, which was actually a British uh, science fiction horror film uh, made around the same time. So anyway, that, there you go. So there's there's two possible candidates for the movies mm. that uh, that Hogarth's watching. But but what I love is that it, it's it's classic. Like, yeah, there's like a scientist in it and there's like the scientist, a female assistant. Oh, and he's like, oh, you know, I'm in my... I'm in my lab, and then oh no, there's I a you know, giant keys. brain is eating my head. Yeah, His line delivery. He goes, "I've lost my keys. <laughs> Let me go back and get my keys." <laughs> and he gets attacked by a brain. Yeah, yeah. he's got like he, he's got like original Resident Evil level vocal <laughs> delivery. I, I was thinking of an Ed Wood film like Plan Nine from Outer Space. Oh yeah, that's that that may have that may have been a, a reference that they they would have used. Yeah. Why the porpoise can communicate telepathically, Miss Mellon. If we can transplant at least fifteen percent of their brain matter into ours, we may be able to read minds. Darn, a perfectly good brain wasted. I think you've seen enough. How about a nightcap? Let's say. My place. Oh, I was thinking the same thing, <laughs> mind reader. Darn. I seem to have left my keys in the lab. It ties into comics because Hogarth um, reads the giant comics. He's like, he's, there's like one which is a Tomo, which is like this big hmm. evil monster thing. And he's like, no, you're not a Tomo. Yeah, you're Superman. Yeah. And it, it kind of ties into like a big hmm. theme with the movie, which um, is kind of like a nature versus nurture thing because... At the end, it turns out the giant's an incredibly destructive force. We don't know like where it came from, but if it would, but, <laughs> well, he, he oh. is a Tomo. Yeah, and when he feels threatened, it will react defensively with loads of weaponry. Like, especially mm. like when he believes Hogarth's dead, he goes on the rampage and nearly kills everyone. But then, at the very mm. end of the movie, he decides to become a hero and saves everyone. And his tragic final word is yeah. Superman. Yeah. No, it's it's a wonderful um, nod to the, I guess like the higher ideals of Superman. The idea because I, I, you, I always well, say Rob this. at least has heard me rant about this a lot about Superman because uh, as I'm a really big Superman fan, and obviously we've just had the last decade of uh, Snyder cut I have, nonsense. I say and, this uh, all the time. Uh, CG, CGI off mustaches. This movie gets Superman more than Zack Snyder. And Superman's not even in the movie. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's probably the best Superman movie since the Christopher Reeve films. Um, like, you know, it's it. I think what I like about Superman and what this film gets right about Superman is that Superman is not about the fact that the guy has every superpower ever. Like, because that's the boring part. Like, he's oh yeah, he can do anything. What I like about him is that he isn't 
like, and this is the other thing, they love to have, like, evil Superman. It's the most boring thing ever, and they keep doing it. Like, oh, what if Superman turned evil? That's literally every other villain. Like, every villain ever, oh, I've got unlimited power, I will become evil. What I like about Superman is that he, you know, he has all this power, and he, he's all about helping people, and being the good guy, and, and you know, and, and, <laughs> and good, good, strong human values you know we're all in this together sort of thing uh i just oh my god anyway i i'll, I'll never be not annoyed by some people's interpretations <laughs> of superman but i'm just i'm just like look superman is the mild-mannered reporter first he's clark kent and then he's the superhero who yeah, saves exactly. the day in the same way that the iron giant is is you know a cute like borderline toddler at first you know, like a child, you know, who just happens to be a giant robot. <laughs> yeah. And then um, he becomes a hero at the end because yeah. he has the choice. You know, he, he says, I'm, I am Superman, I'm not a Tomo. Yeah. And also, speaking of the giant, is he CG, but oh, the way he's animate, animated blends in seamlessly with the hand drawing elements. And they did this intentionally because I think there were films coming out mm. at the time, I think Disney were doing this, where the CG wasn't. In- incorporated as seamlessly and you could tell it was CG but what they wanted to do was they mm. wanted to give it blemishes yeah. to make it look flawed and hand drawn so it's kind of got a shell, cell shaded look and I think Brad Bird said it was hard because they wanted the computer mm. to, to program something that was flawed and I think they, they also did a really good job making really expressive like they gave him the jaw that kind of like moved around it could pivot mm. and then the eyes kind of moved around it kind of gave him a lot of expression and also need to shout out the designer of the of this yeah. movie's Iron Giant which was um, Joe Johnson who's a friend of Brad Bird's and Joe Johnson he was a like the key kind of oh, designer yeah. on the original Star Wars trilogy Joe Johnson he directed uh, I think he, he did the Rocketeer yeah god yeah he directed he did the Rocketeer that was it yeah no he did he did some cool films he did um, the Rocketeer I think he did anyway, the first yeah, Captain sorry. America <laughs> He did, yeah. Wow. Oh. Okay, yeah. So exactly. So he was a big guy anyway. So it's cool that he was involved with this film and, and yeah, to mm. design to the the giant. Because that's the thing. I think it's so easy to actually draw or, or come up with a robot where it just looks like, well, yeah, like a clunky Doctor Who, like seventies Doctor Who robot. You know what I mean? Like where it's just really clunky and awful looking. Um, Whereas what's great about this one is that he does look very fluid, like his, his movements are very fluid, and and yeah, you're right, like the jawline, the eyes, like they all give him a lot more expression than, like he might not have ended up not having. Like if you look at the original designs in like the Iron Man book, you know, by Ted Hughes, like it's a lot more kind of clunky. Uh, you yeah, know, he's, he's, he's got he's more an of a Iron human face, man, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. And and it's so funny we talk about the book, but the, the, I read the book is, in in is, preparation for this. <laughs> it's very like, mm-hmm. I've I've revisited it a couple of times because I've I've said this in a previous episode, but my day job is I work in a, a school, specifically a primary school, and I've been in classes where we've mm. looked at that book as the text, and yeah, it's very different. Like the end, he fights mm. a giant dragon monster. <laughs> <laughs> a, a giant dragon monster who's the size of Australia, like <laughs> you know, like we're we're at just such a completely different 
plane of reality in the book like you know the 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 film like you know it's hilarious you say okay the movie about the giant robot from outer space that's more grounded than the book <laughs> which is just it's usually the way around yeah, it, the, the film you films usually go bigger don't they? yeah no it, but like it's interesting. Where, where where the hell does this uh fight against the australia-sized dragon happen <laughs> Well, in Australia, it's like a giant. It turns up as a. So it's just so it's just sitting there across the whole of Australia, yeah. and the giant is like standing in the sea. I guess. Yeah, he he just turns up and says hello or something. It, it's very odd. I don't even know how he gets. Oh no, they they transport him. They the the humans they get him on a boat and they take him over. I remember they he he does mention that. But yeah, no, he's just apparently hanging out in Australia but, and and but, they just but, chat for a bit. And, and, but uh, it's interesting we, it, spoke, it's we speak bizarre. about the dragon, but yeah, that we laugh about it. But the dragon does talk. It has a similar kind of theme to the movie through the dragon because the dragon was like I think at the end you find that he was an angel, and then he he got very overexcited over the war, like the Second World War, and that's why he became violent. Mm. Yeah, there's there's an element of similar to the giant. The dragon was really just responding to humanity and was like, oh well, this is clearly what humans do, right? Is that they they fight and murder everyone. So I, I guess that's what I'll do while I'm here. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting idea. Is that is that yeah, like the giant learns, you know, humanity and and the idea that he may or may not have a soul through hogarth you know who's very kind of gentle and and loving and and yeah very anti-gun that's the interesting thing you know he, he, he you know he mentions about you know guns killing um which again you just wouldn't get away with today if they made a film like that today because um, uh, oh, the, yeah. the it, there would be a it would be a it would be a beta cuck movie um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, but anyway, talk about my point is, is that like the giant could have met. If you eat enough, if you eat enough soy, you well, might grow to giant ooh. robot size. This was what <laughs> this was what I was getting to was that the giants could have very easily landed in Area Fifty One or any military base and learned about humanity through the perspective of the military or a man like uh, everyone's favorite. Uh, prick, uh, Kent Mansley. Everyone's favourite complete bastard. Yeah, uh, Kent Mansley. Mansley works for the government. <laughs> I love him. I, I think he's a great villain. Yeah, uh, he's he's very funny. He, he's uh, a and he's, you love yeah, to as hate. Joe said, he is a complete bastard. I'm going to say this. Yeah, uh, yeah. He and, kind and, of reminds me of Rimmer from Red Dwarf because he's got a bit of a Napoleon complex and acts like his job <laughs> is more important than it actually is. Yeah, well, he, yeah, he's... Yeah, he is very Rimmer. Right, that's it. <laughs> Lister, the third technician, offence, obstructing a superior technician by humming, clicking, and being quiet. <laughs> when the captain sees this, you're dead. Rimmer, I'm bored! Bored? This is essential routine maintenance. It's absolutely vital for the well-being of this crew, this mission, and this ship. Dispenser 172, chicken soup nozzle clogged. He, he's with the Bureau of Unexplained Phenomena, uh, BUP. Uh, <laughs> I, noticed, I noticed on his little thing. So he's not even with the FBI or any, like, 
real department you know he's he's with like the the loser department and yeah he's like he's going up to these these farmers and being like you know big things happen in big places and then his car being gets very eaten. dismissive yeah his car gets eaten yeah that that scene's great he, he like he, he slides into his car and goes to put his suitcase down on his briefcase down on the seat next to him and it just falls out the other <laughs> side and he looks and the whole right hand side of the car is missing. And he's like, oh my car, he ate my car. And then, he, then, then when he goes back, he finds the whole yeah. car missing and he phones up the government and he's like, hey, he ate my car and they, and they don't believe him. Yeah, well, well he... It's, um, it's, it's wild he goes from like uh, funny, silly, comic relief villain to who, a child. Uh, can't prove that the giant is real. To, to yeah chlor- chloroforming a child interrogating him uh in the dark when his mum's not around and putting him to bed yeah and also <laughs> like that it's all it's all incredibly and creepy. also threatening to separate yeah. him from his mum saying oh and, the, and then he tries to mother and then she'll be sent away forever yeah yeah oh wow and then, who, who'd, who and then and then at the end he, he lies to say that hogarth's been killed so that the general will launch a nuclear weapon at the giant again though that does that does lead to one of the funniest moments which is when you know he he says uh the the missile is currently targeted on the giant's current location where's the giant mansley and it's like right in front of them so it's like yeah and and he's like and then he tries to drive away and the giant stops him like he should (laughs) screw my country i want to (laughs) live such a bastard what i love though is is that he he swallowed like everyone else he swallowed the propaganda like the propaganda that hogarth was watching the duck and cover um video which was it wasn't a fallout thing it was a real thing they they did all you know Mm, like the little um instruction videos duck under the desk a peaceful stay at home kind of day in a town very much like your own but then suddenly without warning Atomic Holocaust! But how does one survive an atomic attack? Hey, did you hear about crazy Mr. Stutz? He says his boat ran into a sea monster. I heard it was sunk by a meteor. No, no, no. It was a metal meteor. It ate his boat. My dad says it's just any of those things. What would you know about it, Poindexter? Oh, God! Shh! Don't make me come over there. Hands over your head. Deep low to the ground. It was it was Bill the Turtle, I think, was was the the. It was Bert the Turtle. Bert the Turtle, that was it. Bert Um, the Turtle was very alert. Yeah, Bert the Turtle was very alert. And um, and, uh, in in the in the Iron Giant film, it's a little chipmunk, if I recall. And um, yeah, yeah, but the idea that oh, just yeah, Kent literally says, oh, we can duck and cover, like we can get in a bomb shelter or something, and it's like. That's not how nuclear bombs work. You don't. <laughs> you don't. You, you, the, you don't get the, the general. The general's like he doesn't say it, but he looks a bit like. Wait, you believe that? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, well, but but that's what people thought. You know, like oh yeah, it's people thought that it was like a bombing raid. You could just go into your little shelter and you'd survive. You know, like a, like the Blitz. Yeah, yeah but it's the, like under the table. The, yeah, then, under the table. Yeah. And then at the end, Dean and Annie. Oh, I was just like. Yeah, shelter's not going to cut it, and that's when the giant goes. You stay, I'll go. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Um, people, people didn't really know until was it? Uh, I can't, I can't remember what the film was called. Um, I might have to look this up. Uh, it was like a kind of 
dramatization documentary thing that I, th I think aired on the BBC in like the 60s that simulated what it would actually be like if it was a uh, nuclear war happened. It was uh, Fred's. And it was, um, was it threats? Yeah. It, it's got the famous image of a guy with like a bandaged, um, uh, bandaged eyes, if I remember. Yeah, look up, look up Fred's. I think it's Fred's. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, that, that, there's a film called that. It's from 1984. Yeah, no, that's And if this, is, if, if, if this is the one I was thinking of, then like, I think it was quite controversial at the time. Because, oh, like, it was, yeah. Well, people didn't really know. No. Because because um, of all the like propaganda and stuff and yeah, <laughs> the fact that they put up these crazy nuclear arsenals that could wipe out the entire world countless times over. Yeah, and and people just yeah. people weren't aware. Like you know, one one of my favorite things uh, about nuclear war. You know, I'm the Fallout guy. I'm interested in all that. Uh, so one fun thing. Um, <laughs> The original American security code, you know, to launch the missiles, uh, I think it was eight zeros. It, it it was just zero zero zero, you know, and and that was that was the nuclear launch code, um, for like a good thirty or forty years during the Cold War. So, just so everyone was aware that that's how the Americans, you know. That's how lax they were, I guess, about nuclear war. Uh, but we were even. Oh, the the. Sorry, I was I was um I was still I was still looking for the film. The one I meant was actually uh, the War Game, which was from nineteen sixty six. Okay. And it yeah. uh, it it was actually. Uh, withdrawn before, it was screened because the BBC judged that it would be too horrifying. Right. Like right. quote too horrifying for the medium of broadcasting that's hilarious well that was that was what was interesting about freds was i guess yeah like 20 years later they finally did what they probably should have done in the 60s um because uh they actually had a they had a, a question time discussion about like they, they broadcast freds they had all these politicians watch it and then talked about it on like a question time panel it's really fascinating. Like it's a great bit of um, of kind of cultural history. Uh, mm -hmm. But the other, uh, yeah, no, it's it's a weird one. Um, no, the other one I just wanted to mention quickly. So yeah, so the nuclear launch code for in America was was eight zeros. Uh, in Britain, we just locked it with a bike lock. <laughs> and and so yeah, so like th this was this was until like the Blair years, I should stress. So like our, our nuclear launch codes, like you just, I think you just needed like a, a key and, or, or like, you know, pliers, oh. uh, <laughs> a, st a sturdy bolt cutter. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, anyway, I'll yeah, um, talk about back the, to the movie. art style because, um, one thing I noticed about this art style is it's mm. very Brad Bird. I didn't really notice it till this most recent watch is if you look at the character designs from this film and look at the character designs from The Incredibles, which he did like like four or five years later, they're very mm. similar. It's just The Incredibles is more 3D. Like I can kind of see um, what's his um, Hogarth's mum look has kind of got a similar kind of design to uh, Mrs. Incredible and things like that. And um, yeah, and and I was th I was thinking of Dash, Dash um, mm. and uh, and Hogarth kind of. Oh yeah, they pull similar faces yeah. actually, don't they? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 
but Bird is interesting. He he does have his like yeah. There's there's definitely a, a an anime or like a a, a a visual style that he's that he's got with with his work, um, and also you know a fairly interesting political perspective. I'll say. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I was I was thinking that when 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 uh, Rob was talking about uh, Brad Bird's history at Disney. Uh, I thought that was reflected a lot in his films. Like, um, they're always about uh, pe- people with like extraordinary abilities that are kind of put into a role in life, but um, go beyond that. Mm. You know, like it's um, like the Iron Giant grows beyond his design to be a weapon. Yeah, and uh, the Incredibles uh, have to live as like ordinary people even though they've got these superpowers mm. and at the end they're able to live out in the open and, as well and ratatouille and i was thinking oh, that, ratatouille. yeah and ratatouille that seems to be a recurring yeah. theme actually. You know, like oh, all of those all of those things yeah yeah exactly and um obviously like like you said brad bird uh was making these suggestions for how he could make disney better and they weren't listening to it <laughs> yeah during during the absolute worst time for disney so it's it's like maybe you should have listened to him i don't know uh but and, and uh, that and yeah. um you know because later on he worked on the simpsons you know mm. yeah but it's funny that we're doing this episode right after beyond good and evil because the reception of both was pretty similar because like, like beyond good and evil this movie was adored by those who did mm. see it but because of shoddy marketing it did it was yeah. a, it was a failure a box office failure so the story behind this is Warner Brothers. Yeah. Like you and said, they released the Quest for Camelot like the year beforehand. And it was very much a wannabe Disney movie with like goofy characters and the like. And they put all their eggs in the basket of the Quest for Camelot. They wanted it to be a big movie. They thought it was going to be a big success. And it bombed. And then they got. God, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, and then they got cold feet at <laughs> the Iron Giant. And I think they were reluctant to even give it a release date. And like eventually they got one, but then Warner mm. Brothers did like no marketing for it because they had no faith in it. Even I think actually a rough print of it got leaked to the website Ain't It Cool News, and they gave it a really positive review. I think Brad Bird went to the cinema to see it on yeah. release day, and there was like he there was like no like no mar- like, no marketing it was in the empty. cinema. Yeah, I think all it was was like by the exit was a cardboard cut yeah. out of the giant with a leg torn off. Right, yeah, yeah, the um, yeah, the um, like I I was saying this before we started recording, but like the famously with a lot of great movies or movies that could have been great, uh, test audiences ruined them. Uh, so you know it's a really irritating practice that Hollywood did a lot was usually with movies that a studio wasn't confident with, they would put it in front of a test screening and then they'd ask these usually very stupid audiences um <laughs> i i'm very bitter because there's a lot of great films that have been spoiled by these test audiences um and you know and they would like say oh i didn't like the ending so they'd re they'd change the ending and then the then suddenly the film would just like not work anymore and um i think Fatal so was one of those the iron yeah, that's one of the really irritating ones. And so, anyway, is that is that what happened to Blade Runner, or was that like um, just the studio 
fucking with it in general. I mean, I was, like um, adding the narration and everything. Yeah, that might have been a test audience thing as well. Um, I'll need to look into that. But yeah, like, point is, it happened a lot. Uh, some movies, like, they're just completely forgotten now because they were just so butchered that they reviewed badly. And, you know, anyway, my point is, is that The Iron Giant had test audiences and they loved it. The test audiences were all positive. It was like the highest rating any movie had ever gotten from a test audiences, which was like unheard of because test audiences were always stupid. So it was like, oh my god, we might actually have a hit here. This is this could be really, you know, this could be big. And this 50 million dollar movie that, you know, like that's how much the budget was. Warner Brothers just like yeah, as Rob said, they just put it out with almost no fanfare, no advertising, no, like, uh, Brad Bird was talking about, like, various sponsorship tie-ins, so you think about, like, yeah, like, the McDonald's Happy Meal, right? There was nothing like that. Um, so kids just weren't aware of it, and, like, you know, and then adults weren't aware of it, so it, it bombed. And it's, like, 50 million dollars i don't understand why hollywood just hates money sometimes like i it's bizarre so anyway yeah, that's so my you, little rant so about test audience this on your um, letterbox <laughs> review you've talked about oh how they put all their marketing into wild wild west instead and then funny enough wild wild west also bombed so <laughs> god they, they just had the worst instincts didn't they like, ha- had a pretty bad run at that time. Yeah, like, what was going on in Hollywood? Between Warner Brothers in the 90s and Disney in the 80s, why were, like, you know, studios that had been pretty, like, famously competent not being competent? I don't understand. It Like, there, there's probably a really good book somewhere that I haven't read that goes into, like, the politics of, the, of that, like, of the, all those studios at that time, but... Oh, one God, person, yeah, d- one just, it, it's interesting, but it drives me nuts. <laughs> Will Smith, you're not the master of disguise that you think you are. You look nasty, just butt ugly. Kevin Klein, the collars around my neck seem to contain powerful magnets. When you tell this story to your grandkids, you make sure you leave this part out. <laughs> one person at this time who did see the Iron Giant and adored it was Guillermo del Toro. He saw it and called Brad Bird and said, Well, of course. This movie is a masterpiece. Don't worry about the box office, as those who will see this movie are going to adore it. And he was right. Hmm. Yeah, I think, like, it was interesting thinking back. You kind of unlocked a memory somewhere, Rob, when you mentioned that you saw the the trailer for this film. I want to say I saw the trailer, and I can't remember how or where it might have been on like a on the vhs tape of something like you know another movie like had an advert for it um but yeah because i i remember the trailer and and yeah like like joe i don't know if i saw it at the cinema maybe probably not but then i yeah i definitely had the vhs tape and i remember i remember re-watching it loads um just because, you know, I, I was kind of fascinated by it. I think... Oh, also, I should probably mention, I this film may or may not be responsible for my love of Fallout. Um, <laughs> because it's... Prob- 
It's probably my first ever exposure to the concept of nuclear war. Because I, I, you know, I saw this movie when I was probably like six. I had no idea what nuclear war was, you know, I, I knew what a bomb was. So when the missile's coming down, it's like, alright, I kind of I kind of understood it. But like, even like, the ships, and so much of it was so kind of foreign to me when I was growing up. Like, I just genuinely didn't know a lot of this stuff. Like, when I, when I was growing up, most movies, I thought that they were set in the UK. Mm. Like, I didn't, like, the, <laughs> the concept well. of America was weird like I didn't uh, I didn't understand that um which is so anyway so I like yeah that that thank you iron giant you may or may not have caused my love of nuclear war stuff and yeah. fallout and anyway yeah. so I don't think it was until I watched it <laughs> as an... well you probably saw you, you you probably started up fallout saw one of those uh old school propaganda film things and you're like I recognize that <laughs> yeah the duck and cover <laughs> I definitely remember. Yeah. I definitely remember that duck and cover, like the little song. I remembered that for years. So, like, yeah, that that burrowed into my brain. Into my brain. Um, yeah. Oh, no, it's uh, good. Because <laughs> I thought because I probably didn't pay much attention to this film as a kid for whatever reason. It wasn't until I was an adult that I realised it was set during the fifties. Hmm. Yeah. It, well, you wouldn't know that as a kid, would you? Like, you wouldn't get any of that that's that's what i was saying earlier about i'm not really sure who the who who <laughs> setting in that time period was for the one, the one <laughs> like like i like it it's very cool but i, I not no kids would have appreciated yeah. the one that. reference mm. i remember to the cold war as a kid was from this movie called the adventures of rocky and bullwinkle <laughs> and it's got um basically it's based on an old 1960 1950s tv series and it's kind of the idea of like it's like years later and there's a bit at the start where it's talking about what happened since the show got cancelled. There's a bit where it says the Cold War is over and it's got all these like kind of like um, US Army people shivering in the snow. And then it pans to them in like a beach, still in their <laughs> navy, like brain frisbees and stuff. <laughs> and I had no idea what the Cold War was because <laughs> I, I took it very literally. So. Yeah, no, yeah, Cold War. Oh, it must have been cold, right? Well, you, yeah. you do stuff as a kid. I, I just thought the Great Depression was a period of time where everyone was really sad. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, this well is... which I mean, they probably they probably were, but that wasn't why it was but, called but, that. But this is the problem: is that a lot of the time, some things are like just literal, like some some wars, like the Hundred Year War. No, it was a hundred, you know what I mean? Like, it was a hundred years. So if you hear a phrase like Cold War or Great Depression, yeah, why wouldn't you just think, oh yeah, okay, must have, <laughs> must have been cold, right? Uh, you know, yeah, they must have all been sad, you know? Like, oh man. We, we, don't, we don't teach history good in, in our society, uh, sadly. Um, it, it's interesting. I, I think, like, we grew up at a weird point where, like, the Cold War was over, you know, technically. So, like, I, I think a lot of parents and, and families just didn't feel the need to bring it up, you know? It's interesting. Um, because, like, my, my parents never brought up, like, nuclear war or Cold War stuff or Russia. You know, but, like, if you were growing up in the 80s, like, oh my god, you heard about Russia every week, you know? So, yeah, that's weird. With that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, 
suppose just w- wasn't relevant to no. people's no. lives at the time. Exactly. Pe- people thought history was over. <laughs> yeah, yes, <so. laughs> literally, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to make a comment about the absolutely insane whiplash that happens as, it, as the film goes into the third act. Oh, yeah, oh well, in terms mean, of like, like, how... like, like they, like, they like stamp on the accelerator, and it suddenly yeah. like goes from silly, uh, slice of life uh, antics with a giant robot trying to hide him, rascally children hiding a giant robot yeah. from the uh, from the silly government man, yeah. to slightly more sinister chloroforming stuff, yeah, and then. <laughs> In the space of literally fifteen seconds, um, the giant almost kills Hogarth. Yeah. Um, Dean kicks him out. He then he immediately sees the toy gun that set the giant off and decides that he wants them to be friends after all. Gets on his motorbike, catches up to Hogarth, explains what happened, and goes after the giant who's already several miles down the road. Oh, you get the pacing. And this is literally all in the space of about fifteen like, seconds. Like, yeah, yeah, it's the so, pace gets it's ramp, so fast. And then from and then from then on, it's like giant robot rampage blowing stuff up. Yeah, <laughs> but that does. You have to Can I just say that, that the? Uh, I want to talk about the one of my favourite scenes, which is a really funny one. It's the bit where Hogarth has to say a prayer for Dip before he eats his dinner. And he notices the giant's hand in the um, kitchen scrambling around. He's just shouting. He sees the giant's hand. Yeah. And it's like, stop! Get out! Devil! (laughs) (laughs) That, again, I wondered uh, that little scene of the hands crawling around the house. Um, It looked. Sorry, this is another little possible reference. I'm not entirely sure, but. Um, the movie Tarantula, again, a kind of classic 50s film, you know, big giant, giant spider, giant ants, you know, all that sort of thing, is a giant spider, and there is a scene of a giant spider crawling around inside the house, and so again, I, I kept watching it going like, is that a reference? Because it's kind of, kind of spidery looking, you know, it's this big hands just kind of running around inside the, the house, I don't know. Anyway, I'll, I'll call- Use, using, using its forefinger as like a... <laughs> like, like kind of poking into things yeah. and having a, having a sniff around <laughs> oh my god we uh, thank you for the food that mom has put in front of us and stop the, uh, the devil from doing bad things and uh, get out of here uh, Satan Go, you soul, that we may live in peace. Amen. Amen. Favorite character and favorite scene. I think for me, it's it's gonna be Dean. Like I said, I like I like Dean's whole style. Um, I remembered, like, from a very young age, uh, the like, and it stayed with me to this day. The line, um, "What you've got in your mouth is art." Uh, so that's probably my favorite scene. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's me. Okay, yeah. Uh, mine's... Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. It's, 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 probably, it's probably Dean as well. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe Kent on a good day, but it, he goes so far off the rails that it's like... Hard to enjoy him even as a bad guy. <laughs> at points. But my favourite scene is when um So Kent Mansley brackets works for the government um <laughs> finds Hogarth's camera 
and develops it. And he finds uh, history's first selfie. Yeah. <laughs> when um, Hogarth took a picture of himself earlier in the film and the giant happened to be behind him. Mm. Um, so not, o- and not only a selfie, but a photobomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, so he then calls the general and they all arrive at the junkyard. Um, but uh, Dean and Hogarth have disguised the giant as a piece of art instead. <laughs> And I, I really enjoy that whole sequence. Yeah, it's really... and and they're 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 all acting super innocent when they let the army go. <laughs> Dean's like, I thought I was being but, but, invaded or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he he pretends like he thinks that the general's interested in buying <laughs> buying the sculpture. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of got a, like a retro futurist style to it. Yeah, sure. I'm not going to buck any trends here. Um, Dean is my favourite as well because he's just the coolest. It's like last time we all had the same favourite part of Beyond Good and Evil, and yeah, I think maybe my favourite scene might be. Mm. Uh, I mean, I really love the bit when he we first meet Dean and he's like, "Oh yeah, us Coops got to stick together." That's a, it really just shows Dean's character. It's a good way mm. for us to get to know Hogarth. It's like a positive interaction for him. But I do really love that scene I mentioned a few minutes ago where. Hogarth has uh, does that out- outrageous prayer while he's trying to tell the giant hand to leave, saying, "Get out, <laughs> Satan!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised no one mentioned. I'm gonna also uh, briefly mention the tsunami scene. Uh, another great Dean moment when, like. The, the giant jumps oh, yeah. into the lake a bomb, and yeah. ca- ca- causes a, a small bomb explosion in a, in a in the water and it's just the the moment when Dean sees it and lifts up his newspaper as if that's going to protect him uh- <laughs> and then he's floating by with the water and it's like filled up the entire <laughs> screen somehow and then it's like hey you're right in the middle of the road yeah <laughs> yeah he just takes it in stride. I love it. <laughs> so I like that scene as well. The, I'm mentioning that scene because I love it. Of course. And obviously, there's the scene where the giant flying up into space to um, to stop oh, the nuke. Yeah, that's, yeah. That goes without saying. That that's that's obviously great as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's so good. Makes me cry. You are what you chose to be. I always found the bits where he um, rebuilds himself very satisfying. Mm, yeah, well, it's when, when it's like the the the, 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 the like bleepy bloopy music yeah. and the um, everything like rolling towards him, like all the screws it's, and everything. And then like the little screw at the end, like screws in. Yeah, and it's very satisfying. Yeah, seeing it's got it, like, the same kind of satisfaction. Yeah. <laughs> got the same kind of satisfaction as the bit in Toy Story Two. Again, another movie. I keep bringing it up because it's around the same time, but. The bit in Toy Story 2 when um, the cleaners fixing Woody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that, yeah. that music gets stuck in my head sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're right. Oh, man, what a what a cool movie. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, next Iron time Giant yeah. and Toy Story 2. <laughs> yeah. Toy Story we need to do at we're some We're back point. on Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah, next time we're back on Resident Evil. Hey, we're... we're... <laughs> We're just gonna... Yeah, next time it it actually is the next one this time. We're, like we're just gonna do what, what's our next one that isn't gonna be Resident Evil? I think we're gonna like what I mean is we'll we'll do another we'll never do Resident Evil guys. We're just gonna keep yeah. going and doing other random <laughs> ones and announcing that our next one will be Resident Evil. So I think our next one 
Return uh, the King. I think we should do Small Soldiers. Oh, okay. Do you think I would happily talk about that movie? I love that movie. Oh, yeah, I, I, I went for a Rob. I thought that would be a good Rob uh, one, Small Soldiers. <laughs> I've never seen that film. <laughs> it's it's goofy as hell. You'll, you'll, you'll like it. Um, uh, the girl gets attacked by little Barbies at one point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the original Barbie movie. Yeah. <laughs> Top All right. Film. Well, yeah, like I said... Resident Evil, yeah, we we are doing that technically, unless we decide we're doing something else. <laughs> Stay tuned. Okay, until Stay next tuned. Time. Res- Resident Evil Three will happen at some point. Yeah, <laughs> before before the end of October. Until yeah. next time, the Bluecast bids you farewell. Kent Mansley, work for the government.